Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Jesse Cole of the Savannah Bananas, revolutionizing baseball as an experience truly for the fans. If you haven't seen their viral videos online, you'll surely understand why they bring in fans all across the nation because of their differences in their approach. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Jesse Cole of the Savannah Bananas. Jesse, thank you so much for joining me today. Ah, excited to be with you, Cameron. Amazing. So I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Uh, where did you grow up and what would you say your childhood was like? <laughs> I grew up in a little tiny town, situated Massachusetts, about 7,000 people, a little beach coastal town in the South Shore uh, of Massachusetts. And yeah, my upbringing uh, was the like only child. Baseball was it for me. I just loved baseball, fell in love with it. My dad you know, started teaching me when I was a kid. He actually even bought a baseball facility so I could play year round when it was cold. And that, that was it. I, I loved baseball. You know, obviously I loved uh, Disney. I, you know, my parents were fortunate to take me to Disney when I was a kid a lot. And, um, you know, that was it. Uh, that, was, that was it. Every day after school, my dad would pick me up and we'd go play ball and uh, drew a real passion for it then. Amazing. Um, so with your dad, uh, also being an inspiration for that, did your dad have a experience with baseball growing up and what was that like? Yeah. I mean, he, he, he was a, you know, a three sports star back in, uh, Connecticut played basketball, baseball, and soccer and, uh, loved the game. And I didn't have the soccer skills or the basketball skills. So I think my dad saw, uh, early on that I could swing the bat a little bit and throw pretty hard. So we leaned in on that one and I enjoyed it the most, you know, I'd go to the field and I remember when I was a kid, my dad used to reward me. Like if I hit a home run in the little league field, like he'd give me 50 cents and I was like, <laughs> all right, I'm going to try to hit as many home runs as possible. After, after a while, my dad stopped being able to do that. But, um, yeah, that, that was, that was it. And, uh, you know, the big thing, my dad had many jobs, but he actually left his main job because he knew the passion I had for baseball to buy a baseball facility. So wow. as an only child, uh, my parents were divorced. Um, you know, my mother had a drug problem and challenge. My dad went all in on trying to give me something, an opportunity that no one else had. Wow. So I know you have uh, such an athletic background growing up. Uh, I'm also curious, did you have an entrepreneurial mindset, say, sell new products or lemonade stands, anything like that? <laughs> I did have some lemonade stands, and I also remember I, I started uh, – uh, all the baseball cards I had, I had mm. this idea to get them all signed and start selling them. So I started sending my baseball cards to uh, players to get signed. Uh, and I wrote a letter as like a nine-year-old, but I didn't get any back. And that's ironic to what I do now with our players to get them to be really fans first. But yeah, I didn't get any back. So that business didn't go far and uh, not really an entrepreneurial mindset. I remember I, my, I had a goal of uh, getting the all-star game at Fenway Park. And I had a petition that I started when I was 10 years old and got all the kids to sign that. So I always had these goals that I would attack um, but I, I had tr trouble finishing a lot of those goals back then. Yeah. I saw you ended up uh, going to Walford College. Uh, what did you end up studying there? Did, did you play baseball there as well? Yeah. So I was fortunate to get a full scholarship. Uh, I chose that over big schools up, up north like Boston College and Northeastern because I wanted to play down south and play in better weather and better competition. And uh, I went to offer to play baseball. I knew it was a great school, but I didn't focus. I didn't have a plan as far as a major. And yeah. I was like, I'll just go into business econ. And I went to business econ and they said, you got to take two macroeconomics classes, two calculus classes. I'm like, why am I taking calculus to learn business? This makes no sense. So yeah. I dropped that pretty quickly and developed my own major. I became the first ever and only leadership major at Wofford because I found a loophole through the humanities degree that you could design your own major. I studied leadership and coaching, government, wow. military, and developed my own major as a junior in college. That's amazing. So did the, the actual degree and diploma, did that say leadership? 
No, okay. it said humanities, but okay. the, the reality is I was the only humanities major ever at Wofford too. There was no one ever took that because you had to literally do a whole entire independent study, a dissertation, a, a speech. You had to do, it was a ton of work, but yeah. it was it was worth it because it gave me freedom to create the way I wanted to create. Definitely, definitely. Well, uh, following Walford and prior to Savannah Vanance, I'm curious, what kind of jobs were you working then exiting school? You know, it's interesting. I think a lot of people, they, they go back and they have you know different odds and ends jobs. They may have worked at a fast food restaurant. They may have delivered, delivered pizzas. They may have did newspapers. For me, I uh, it was all baseball. And it's crazy as that sounds. Like I traveled. I played AAU national tournaments. I was playing baseball all the time. So when I could, I'd work at the baseball club, the place that my dad bought. And I would you know do workshops and coach rookie league and coach for kids. But I really did not have any other jobs, wow. as crazy as that sounds. So I, I, I surrounded myself with the game and I've been fortunate to be able to surround myself with the game even today. Definitely. Um, so the Savannah Bananas ent enters around 2015, 2016. Uh, can't wait to get into this. Uh, how did this idea arise to start the team? And uh, what did that launch process look like for you? Well, I started as an intern back in 2007. So wow. my goal is to play professional baseball. And I was you know, unbelievably fortunate to get letters from the New York Mets and the Pirates and the Padres and I thought that dream was going to come true until I tore my shoulder. Didn't know what I was going to do. Went into coaching for one summer, hated it. The idea of sitting and not being able to play and just watch a game, I realized how boring it was for me. So I said, well, I had an opportunity to work for a team. I was like, mm, maybe I can make it more exciting, make it more fun. So I took an internship, but that first day I was given a phone book and I was told, just sell sponsorship. And I go, what am I selling? They go, billboards, ads. There was really no training, nothing, given a phone book. But for some reason, I was like, all right, well, I'll treat it as a baseball player. Like, I'll be competitive. Let's yeah. see how many people I can call today. Let's see how many meetings I can get today. Let's see how many sales I can get today. And uh, in two months, that internship, I sold more than the entire team had sold all year. And so I was fortunate that then I got offered the job to be a general manager of another team. And that happened at 23 years old. I took the GM of a team in Gastonia, North Carolina, the Gastonia Grizzlies. Wow. And so th this is years before Savannah. So it was yeah. about 10 to 15 years. Um, that Gastonia team was only drawn 200 fans a game and lost to almost $150,000 the previous year. And there was $268 in the bank account my first day I showed up. We had three full-time employees and payroll was on Friday. Wow. So that's where I started. And so to get to Savannah, I mean, I, I, didn't, I couldn't pay myself for the first three months as a 23-year-old. So yeah. I had to start learning and testing and trying things. And, and I realized we couldn't be a baseball team. So I read every book on P.T. Barnum, Walt Disney. And I started reading books about entertainment and I said, we got to go all in entertainment. And I remember I called the owner of the team back then. I said, we're no longer going to be a baseball team. He goes, what are you talking about? I go, it's going to be a circus and a baseball game will break out. He goes, what are you talking about? I go, we're going to have grandma beauty pageants. Our players are going to do choreographed dances. We're going to serve donut burgers and donut dogs. I'm going to get in the dunk tank every day and we're going to see what happens. And luckily he didn't fire me. He gave me a shot. <laughs> wow. And so for 10 plus years, we, uh, we learned that um, entertainment worked. And we went from 200 fans to 1,000 fans to 1,200 fans to 1,500 fans to 2,000 fans to 2,500 fans to selling out games. Wow. And I realized that the next big step, the next opportunity was somewhere bigger. And never had an idea of Savannah until I proposed to our director of fun in front of a sold-out crowd in Gastonia. And she surprised me the next weekend with a trip to Savannah. And we went to the minor league ballpark, fell in love with the stadium. Brick Columns, 1926 stadium. You could feel the history. Babe Ruth wow. played there. Aaron played there. We walked in. This minor league team, the New York Mets affiliate, there was less than 200 fans in the stadium. It was like a tumbleweed just went through the ballpark and it was yeah. dead air. And I thought right then, I go, why don't we bring what we were doing um, from Gastonia to another level and bring it to Savannah? And so that was how it kind of started in 2015. Wow. 
So how did that transition work with that existing team there? Did you pick up the players that were currently there and evolve the team that was existing? How did that no, work? we didn't buy the team. We bought an expansion team. That team left because that oh. team was that, that team said they could never be successful in wow. an old ballpark. They said Savannah would never support a baseball team. So they put, picked up their stuff and left, uh, cut the phone lines, cut the internet lines, took everything out of the ballpark. And wow. uh, when we when we showed up, it was uh, deserted and a disaster. And that's yeah. how we started with with an expansion team. So we had to build our own team, build our own players, build everything to start over. So what does that recruiting process look like? Do you look to colleges to recruit new players? And especially at launch, how did that look like to establish the new team? Yeah, and that wasn't the goal. So yeah, I got you. When we first started, the goal was to be able to develop support, the fan support. You know, the players are, when you have a team, you know, you get players and we let our coach take care of that. And so our coach said he'll get players. And it was a challenge. I mean, wait, there was no name. We had no name for the team the first six months. Yeah. And we only we only sold a handful of tickets and we overdrafted our account and we were out of money. And my wife and I had to sell our house and empty out our savings account. And we were sleeping on an airbed. All that happened in the first six months. Wow. So the focus wasn't on the players. We were going to focus on trying to survive, trying to be, <laughs> able, be able to be a franchise. And so that was the goal. Uh, as far as the players, we just hope that would all come together. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far around Jesse's entrepreneurial journey. I'd like to pause and say thank you to this episode's mid-break sponsor, Carrie Loha. By turning self-replenishing bamboo fields into luxurious, soft bamboo viscose fabrics, they offer an extensive collection of bedding, bath, and apparel made from soft, cool, clean, and green fabrics. The last thing you want is getting out of a long work day, stepping into a bed or a bath towel that is rough. Kiriloha offers premium soft quality towels, bedding, and clothing at a very affordable price point. Make sure to check them out for yourself at kariloha.com. That's kariloha.com, and enjoy the rest of the episode. You mentioned it all the time, and I see it on the website as well. It's a fan-first experience at this fan of bananas. Um, what did the vision look like for you? I'm sure it has evolved since you launched, but at launch, what did that vision look like for the team, organization? It was save baseball in Savannah, save Grayson Stadium. At first, it was just keep baseball going and show it in a different way. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we had a vision that baseball is too long, too slow, and too boring, and that the fan experience is not what it should be. And baseball could be different. So could the fan experience. And the name of our company is Fans First Entertainment. Our vision, our mission is Fans First Entertain Always. Everything we do is Fans First. So to do that, if baseball is too long, too slow, too boring, how do you make it more fun? Mm. So could we have a senior citizen dance team called the Banana Nanas? You know, could we have a male cheerleading team called the Mananas? Could we have a breakdancing coach? Could we have a banana band that plays throughout the game? Could we have banana babies that we lift up in the air and sing, nah, Savannah, nah, he... Could we do all of that to add to fun? So that was about the entertain always. And then, you know, fans first, eliminate the ticket fees, eliminate the convenient fees, eliminate shipping fees, Mm. pay everyone's taxes, make every ticket all inclusive, all your burgers, hot dogs, chicken sandwiches, soda, water, popcorn, dessert, everything for $20 total. Could you do all that? And that's how we started answering our questions. What would the fans want? That's amazing. Uh, So at launch then, what was the main marketing strategies to convince uh, the local community that this team is really something that a fan is going to want to experience? The marketing strategies failed. Really? (laughs) I mean, we, oh yeah. Well, we we came in and we, we, I wasn't wearing the yellow talk, so we were trying to fit in. Yeah. So we were doing newspaper, radio, social media, like everyone else, selling Mm -hmm. like everyone else. And we only sold a handful of tickets and my wife and I had to sell our house and empty our savings account. So I don't think anybody should have a marketing plan. I think you should have an attention plan. Yeah. Attention beats marketing 1,000% of the time. If you're marketing like everyone else, you're going to get results like everyone else. So 
we came up with an attention plan and that was named the team the savannah bananas then announced the banana nanas then offer former president obama uh, an internship with the team you know then all these uh, come up with dolce and banana underwear you know come up with all break dance and coach and then announce that and then more importantly perform it execute it share it with the fans so they see it they feel it they get to know what it's like to be a part of it and then they do all the marketing for you and so mm. you know that first night we were wearing green uniforms because we weren't quite ripe and we played terrible made six errors um, but they watched all the dancing all the fun they watched players deliver roses to little girls in the crowd and they left that game and told everybody and so from only selling a handful of tickets after that game we sold out every single game and now today six years later our wait list is over forty thousand for tickets wow that's amazing so I know at an organization like this, it's very uh, important to find the right hires in every single category. And I'm curious, how do you draw in uh, new hires? I know they have to have an external, uh, have to be very outgoing for some of their positions. How do you find those hires and what do you look for, especially as an owner for Savannah Bananas? You know, at first we needed, the first thing Emily and I wanted was just someone that we could trust, someone that could be loyal, someone that we've worked with that we know what to expect. And so we hired Jared Orden as our 24-year-old president, which is crazy, 24. Yeah. But he started with us at 24, and now he's become a partner and become a part of everything we're doing. Uh, the rest of it, we just hired three 22-year-olds out of college that we liked their personality. We believed they'd give it a shot, and they were interns. Two of them were interns with us, so we knew they had a good attitude. But then after that, you know, uh, we're very clear. It's not about necessarily recruiting. It's about attracting. Mm. And how do you attract you know, you scream from the mountaintops who you are and what you stand for. And when we talk about fans first and how we're changing the game for the better and and we believe in it, we truly believe in it, we attract. And so, you know, when you go, go to get a job with us, you first got to join the wait list because the wait list is over 1,100 now to work for us. Wow. So once you join the wait list of 1,100, then if you get an opportunity and we start interviewing for a set position, then you'll have to put in your future resume, not what you've done in the past, but what you want to do in the future. We want to see how much you want to grow and your desires and who you want to be. Uh, you have to do a video cover letter. We want to see that enthusiasm, that energy, that fun. Do we want to be around you? And then we have, you have to fill out the fans first way essay. And how are you, all, are you caring, different, enthusiastic, fun, growing and hungry, our six core beliefs. And we have to feel that and see it and believe it. And then you'll go to the next step. And our interview process can be two to three months long. It's crazy. Wow. We hire we hire slow because we believe in getting the right people part of our culture. And fortunately, we've been able to do that as we've grown from just four full-time people to almost 30 full-time people and 200 part-time. Wow, that's amazing. So I'd love to get into some of the tactics that you've done for attention grabbing, as you mentioned. Uh, if you listeners are looking right now, actually, Jesse is wearing the suit. I'm curious, when did this suit idea come about and to actually get yourself involved into this fan experience as well? Well, I've been involved. Emily and I have been involved since day one. You know, there's a lot of owners yeah. who sit in their suites and just watch and they're passive owners. Uh, that's not us. We, we get our hands dirty and we've been picking up trash since day one. And we've been trying to set the way because we believe in that. And I think however the owner acts, uh, the, the team follows. And so when we were put on the show way back with our first team in Gastonia, I was like, I'm on the field. I'm pieing fans and throwing things and celebrating and throwing out T-shirts and underwear and making it crazy. And yeah. Yes, I do throw out underwear in the crowd. That's, that's <laughs> very weird. Our Dolce & Banana underwear. So if I'm doing that, I, I was like, P.T. Barnum wouldn't be dressed like everyone else. You know, he had his coat and his tail. So I said, I got to I got to dress the part. We're putting on a show. I got to I got to be dressed like it's it's it's, it's a show. So. I, I searched online and uh, I found a yellow tuxedo, brightcoloredtuxedos.com. And I wore it that first night and it just fit. People took pictures, people laughed. It just fit me. And 
you know, I believe everybody, my first book, Find Your Yellow Tux, I believe everybody has something that makes them stand out. Mm. Uh, and once they find it, the key is to amplify it by 10. This is me. This is my uniform. When I put this on, it's showtime. So I wear this and I feel it. You can feel the energy, hopefully, from me. Yeah. And that's yeah. what it's about. And so uh, this was a start. And now I believe everyone has permission to have fun and wear costumes and be crazy and dance and sing. And that's what we do at every game. And that's what I'm a big part of. Definitely. It's amazing. Uh, so... For myself, I've actually seen you through numerous uh, people. I, I know you've been with JT Fox before. I've seen you guys on ESPN multiple times. You guys really have the science down behind virality. I, I'm curious, with your social media strategy and some of the content that you guys collect and put out that so much press has been able to pick up, um, what do you guys look for when collecting that content, you're putting that out, and knowing that these press, massive press, are going to pick it up? Um, what does that strategy um, and content and media look like for you guys? Well, we had no strategy when we started. You know, I know your, your show is called Starting Small. Yeah. You know, you, you learn by doing. Herb Kelleher, the founder of uh, Southwest Airlines, three years into operating Southwest Airlines, a reporter said, you know, what's your business strategy? He said, it's simple. It's called doing things. And the reality is you don't really have a strategy until you start doing and learning. The challenge is most people don't do enough things. They don't experiment enough. They don't try enough. So when we first started, we never thought about doing videos. Yeah. But we hired an intern photographer because we were like, oh, we got to have pictures of the fun. You know, we knew that. And so halfway through the season, he goes, you know, I can make videos. I go, you can? And he goes, yeah. So I challenged him. I said, like, what if we do a music video with the bananas? Because Can't Stop the Feeling was the biggest song during the 2016 summer. And I said, Can't Stop the Peeling. And what if we make it a video and we have our players dance and we all lip sync and we made it and we put it out. And I remember on Facebook that when we put out at 8 a.m. and I check every 10 minutes, we got another 20,000 views, another 20,000 views, another 20,000 views. I'm like, what is going on? It was the first viral video we did. Wow. And I was like, we got something. And so we said, all right, let's do more music videos. And we did Old Town Road and Bananas Are Back. And we started testing that. And we started doing famous movie scenes like The Sandlot and League of Their Own. And they all started doing very well. And this was pre-TikTok days. Yeah. Uh, and even Instagram was, wasn't really into videos. It was mostly photos at that point. And so we started doing and learning. So we hired a full-time videographer. We were probably, I guarantee, the only, at that time, college summer team to hire a videographer. One of the few minor league teams to have a full-time videographer. Even pro teams, they don't do it. So we invested in that. And now we have she's four full time um, and our strategy is every Monday we have a meeting and we talk about what are the things that we're going to do this week and that never happened before in a baseball field. How do we film them? How do we do them right? How do we execute them and how do we put them out in the world? And so now with five to 10 new things every single night that are filmed, that are planned, that are choreographed, uh, we have a, a boatloads of content that wow. right now, I mean, we have probably 100 pieces of content the world hasn't even seen. That's going to be a lot of fun. And so quantity leads to quality. So the question is, you know, are you putting out enough? Are you testing enough? Are you learning enough? And we're, we're pushing the envelope on that every single day. It's amazing. Uh, bouncing off of that, I'm, I'm sure it's very humbling when you find out uh, you have fans probably flying in because of some of this virality opportunities. I'm curious, what would you say is the demographic for Savannah Bananas or is that very wide range? Yeah, I, it's, uh, you know, you hear so many business books and, entre and entrepreneurs and leaders say, you got to really have a niche. You got to really narrow down a niche. Well, yeah. overall, we have a niche. We're, we make baseball fun. We're the only team that has dancing players, breakdancing coaches, and players in, on stilts and players in kilts. We're the only team. So we're niched down on that. Yeah. But as far as the demographic comes to our games, from two to 82 and beyond. I mean, yeah. it is, it's wild. And to answer your question, yeah, we keep track. We have fans that come in uh, average between 35 and 37 states a night, uh, wow. five to 10 countries. Uh, that fly in and, you know, line up hours in advance. And it's, 
it's humbling. It's uh, it's hard to describe the feeling to see that people build trips and you know family drove 40 hours from Utah one game and came wow. up to me and afterwards they said they're driving 40 hours back tomorrow and it was everything they hoped it would be. It's crazy. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, from your POV as the owner, I'm curious, uh, what would you say is one of your best memories from uh, one of the games, one of the seasons um, that really just humbled yourself? Uh, you know, there, there's there's a couple, but I, we've always been this little little team trying to prove ourselves. Yeah. You know, in Savannah, everybody said no when we first came. Everyone said no to buying tickets. Everyone said no to sponsorship back when we actually sold sponsorship. We don't anymore because we don't believe it's fans first. But people said no to us over and over again. And that first night on the One City World Tour two years ago or a year ago, we did in Mobile, Alabama, uh, you know, to see thousands of fans line up. That was almost a mile long. And then at the end of the night, the first time ever, uh, fans didn't want to leave. And it was about an hour after the game and the band was tired from playing. They're playing for a straight hour. And finally, uh, the tuba player gets out and starts playing the opening beat to uh, Stand By Me. And I watch as the players, the fans, the characters, the umpires put their arms around each other. And they started singing Stand By Me together. And I get goosebumps and get emotional thinking about it right now because we were hundreds of miles from home. Everyone's got their arms around each other or singing Stand By Me. And what we do, why we do is we bring people together to have fun. And now that's become a tradition. So even this past weekend in Kansas City, the final stop of our bigger tour, thousands of fans, arms around each other, singing Stand By Me is a moment that I'll just never forget. Mm, wow, that's amazing. Well, Jesse, I like to conclude each episode with this. Um, if you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe something you've learned or regret along the way, uh, what would that be? Play the long game and be patient in what you want for yourself, but be impatient in how much you give to others. That is something that's on the back of our fans' first playbook. Every day we try to give more to our fans than we ever ask in return. You do that, play the long game, things turn out pretty well. Amazing. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for joining me. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out the Savannah Bananas at thesavannahbananas.com. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.